At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. Good morning. It's great to be with all of you here today, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity to share God's Word with you. Before we turn there, I do want to just reemphasize some of the things that we've heard. Uh, it really is a gift that we are part of this church family, part of the Big C Global Church, the movement of Jesus Christ across the globe, helping people belong to Christ, grow in Christ, and trying to reach our world for Christ. And I'm looking forward to these campuses as we really try to focus in on those economic, political, intellectual centers of our community, of our region, so that we can make disciples who would then be sent by God all over the country, all over the state, all over the world for his glory. So it's a very beautiful part of this vision uh, that we have here in Michigan. Now, of course, being from Ohio and being on our executive team, I tried to convince everybody I could that we needed one in Columbus, but we're not moving out of the state. So... Um, I didn't win that argument at all, but um, it is one of those things where when we think about uh, really reestablishing many, many churches, that's how much of this model multiplied. It wasn't just because we needed another Woodside here or there or whatever. It was because churches that were struggling in communities, we wanted to keep and maintain the gospel influence in that place. So it wouldn't be bulldozed or turned into something else so that the preaching of God's word and the development of his people would be sustained in that community, through that church, through that witness that had had decades and sometimes even over a hundred years of history. And so it's just furthering that. So above and beyond our regular giving this Christmas season, we want to be generous towards that end, knowing that we're not doing God any favors by offering our gifts and uh, even financial and otherwise, but we're, we're ultimately yielding to him and stewarding what he has given to us for his glory and his name. So I'm looking forward to what he's doing this year. I'm so thankful for this church family. It's one of the stories where when we came to the end of this fiscal year, the first time in my 20 years at Woodside, where we could say as a church, like, we are debt-free, which is crazy to think about. Crazy to think about. When you have 13 buildings to maintain and, 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 you know, so often we think about Woodside as maybe it's this big place, but the truth is, it's mostly, if you average it all out, you know, you take maybe the Troy campus out of there, you got, you got about 14 churches of about 300 people. I mean, that's, that's what it is. It's a movement of trying to create sustainable, healthy, gospel-centered, biblically-driven churches in communities. And that's what we're about. That's what we're trying to do. And I love that many of you are the fruit of that and that we're all a part of that together. Let me pray for us as we open up God's word. Thank you, Father, for this day, for the worship that we've experienced together. Thank you for the baptism, Father, that we are created new in Christ. Thank you for our sister who had the courage today to share. Father, that, that story that I know we can all resonate with, that while we are in you, sometimes we wander and sometimes Father, we feel like we're creating distance with you through our disobedience or passivity. Father, by your spirit, thank you for drawing us towards you. Thank you for holding us even when we try to run. Father, give us eyes to see today. Give us ears to hear your truth so that we might leave this place changed by your word. It's for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 this morning, that's where we'll spend our time, Luke chapter 2. We've been working through a Christmas series we've called Eyewitnesses. 
We're looking at men and women who witnessed the miraculous incarnation. Incarnation means uh, that the divine nature and human nature have been wrapped up together, bound together in the single person of Jesus Christ. And that those two natures colliding in Christ is what is called the hypostatic union. So we're looking at men and women who witnessed the moment divinity put on flesh and entered our broken world in weakness and without celebrity. And if we just paused there, none of us will ever fully wrap our heads around the reality that I just described. Fully understanding the mystery of the hypostatic union. Fully understanding the theanthropos, the the God-man. Jesus, God in flesh. What actually happened in order that God might send his son on our behalf for his mission called the Missio Dei. All of these concepts wrapped up in the nativity story are beyond what we could even fully fathom. We'll never fully get there. We'll never comprehend the depth of what was given, what was done, what was accomplished, what moved in order for Jesus to be present and dwell with us. It's, I think because of this, I've often been frustrated preaching around Christmas time. I sometimes get frustrated because people are so familiar with the story, especially Luke chapter 2, that the element of wonder is sometimes really hard to build. In our broader culture, we know this, and even the church does their best to create, at times, a sense of amazement and wonder within us. And that's not always a bad thing. It can be unhealthy, and you know it can be dangerous when the message is distorted and the Word of God is lost in all the lights of production. But wanting to offer something that is beautiful and something that can be heard and felt and experienced, not just at a head level, but through our senses, is how we most often grow. That's actually how we train our children, to touch things, to feel things, to sense things, to experience things. But some people take the posture that any production effort in the church that attempts to manufacture some type of emotional response is not godly. And just reinforces consumeristic, fluffy, entertainment-driven Christianity. The attitude is basically this. I'm not here to experience God in any other way other than intellectually. So just tell me what I need to know. And if I already know it, then at least I'm doing my duty. So at Christmas time, there's a very high probability that a whole bunch of people, uh, perhaps this morning, I hope not, By God's grace, and uh, perhaps on Friday, but I hope not by God's grace, a whole bunch of people, though, will be coming to a church gathering without any expectation of actually meeting with God, hearing from the living God, seeing God stretch their faith and meet them in this moment. And this is why I always pray before we open up the word, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Because if you're coming to church's tradition, thinking you're doing us and God a favor by being here, then you won't see or hear anything. We don't gather as Christians out of duty. We gather out of desperation. 
I need to hear from God. I need to hold up a mirror to my life and see how the truth of Christ demands a response. I'm desperate to experience the joy of Christian community after a week of walking around in so much darkness. I'm desperate to experience the presence of God, not just in some hyper-sensationalized, unnaturally coerced, or uncomfortably weird way, but in a biblical way where we allow the Holy Spirit of God to meet us where where we are and direct us into truth. We need to plead with God to give us childlike faith. Plead with him to give us childlike wonder and trust and expectation and joy. And so we're stepping into a familiar story this morning. And I need to ask you, are you coming with expectation? Are you expecting God to speak to you Today, that's what he desires through his word, through his spirit. What is our response when we receive, this is what we're getting to in the story, we'll specifically look at the shepherds this morning, when we receive an unexpected gift, an unexpected gift that genuinely brings a sense of wonder. What is the expected response? What is the response when we have these gifts come our way and we never saw them coming? Three years ago, we surprised our kids with, I have to say it, a dog for Christmas. We didn't have them quite yet, so we gave them a picture of the dog, but we surprised them with the dog. They never saw it coming. Never saw it coming. And I want to show you a couple little video clips of not just my family, but another, just to remind us of wonder, awe, and amazement. When something unexpected comes. So check this one out. This is my kids three years ago. What do you think of him? Nice! What do you think I know, of him? I can't believe we got a dog! Let's talk And just in case you thought that was maybe just our children, watch the Simons, Adam and Renee. They're members of the church, they're part of our te- teaching team, good friends of ours. Just a couple weeks ago, they got their children a little dog as well. This is what happened in their house. <laughs> Open your shirts. What'd you get? Wait, why do we get a dog? Oh my God. 
Maybe. <laughs> Our dog, he's, he's more like a lab experiment than anything else. He's, he's a petite golden doodle, so he's hyperallergenic, and he looks like a teddy bear, and his uh, brain doesn't quite work right. Um, <laughs> But our kids, it's amazing when you watch that, when you watch the Simon kids, because they didn't see it coming. They didn't see it coming. And what was their response? Once it came, they responded how you'd expect, with confusion, with passion, with excitement, with emotion, thanksgiving, joy, and they have a story to tell. They had a story to tell. And let me just remind you for a moment, these simple videos... They're over a dog. And I know some of you like, you know, you put your dogs on really high pedestals. You might treat them better than some of your family members. But, but like, you know, you're a dog lover. But this is a dog. This is over a dog infinitely less significant than divinity. The eyewitnesses that we run into today and that we will see through this text that we have experienced through faith. The eyewitnesses that we run in today, the shepherds in Bethlehem, they did not see it coming. But once it came, they responded how you'd expect. With confusion, passion, excitement, emotion, thanksgiving, joy, praise, and a story to tell. Sometimes God likes to give us good news when we don't see it coming. Do you think God has something good for you to see today? That's coming to church, that's coming to our gatherings, that's coming to the Word of God with expectation. When you bring eyes to see and ears to hear, the Lord has something for you. So let's see what they saw and see what God wants to speak to us. Luke chapter 2 verse 8, they saw three things. We'll begin here in this verse. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they, the shepherds, were filled with great fear. The first thing these shepherds saw was the glory of God. The glory of God. There's three things that we'll see in the text. We'll spend the majority of our time on the first two. In chapter 2, Luke introduces us to these first eyewitnesses of the birth of Jesus other than Mary and Joseph. Now, why are these shepherds going to be part of the story? We have lots of traditions that tell us there are other characters in the story. We know the three kings, uh, regardless of what you see in nativity scenes, and even if you went to Woodside's nativity, it drives me a little nutty sometimes, but, but the kings weren't there, and we don't even know if they were kings. They were magi, or wise men, or astrologists, or magicians, but what we, what we know about them is it was a plural group of pagan stargazers with money who were fixated on prophecy. And they bring a toddler, not a newborn, they weren't there that evening, but they brought a toddler three gifts, gold, a sign of Jesus' kingship, frankincense, a sign of Jesus' divinity and priesthood, and myrrh, a symbol of his death that was to come. We don't know if the innkeeper was around for the birth. We don't know if there was a midwife. We don't know who was there other than Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and according to verse 18 in Luke's gospel, who was the historian who gave us an account of what happened chronologically with detail, according to verse 18, all who heard the report of the shepherds. That's it. That's it. That's all we know. That's who was present. So why are these 
shepherds highlighted. The parents, the shepherds, and all those who heard from them. Why are they there? Well, maybe shepherds because Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Maybe shepherds because Jesus would say about himself, I am the good shepherd. Maybe shepherds because of King David and he's of the lineage of David fulfilling that prophecy. Maybe shepherds because of uh, God being described as the shepherd of his people. There's lots of symbolism, there's lots of theories, but what we know is that they are blue-collar, humble, ordinary people who are not even named in Luke's historical account of the story. And none of them saw it coming. They were going about their usual business and had no idea their life was about to radically change until God interrupted their story. And in the middle of the night, the sky explodes with brilliant, radiant light. Light light burst into the darkness when it wasn't supposed to, both literally and figuratively. I mean, it burst into a space that it wasn't supposed to. Luke tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared to these shepherds. And now this is the third angelic visitation already in these first two chapters of Luke. There's the third occurrence when this happens, but this one's different than the other two. Luke says here, specifically, the glory of the Lord shone around them. That was not present previously. This is the light of God's visible presence. It's what's called in the Bible God's Shekinah glory. Shekinah is a Hebrew name that means dwelling or the one who dwells. And every time humanity experiences the divine presence of God, the same thing happens. The same response occurs. Awe, wonder, and fear. It's like everything in them, and if we were there, everything in us would have wanted to gaze upon that light. They would have wanted to see God, and yet although they wanted to look, all they could do in response was fall face down. That's the only response that seemed natural to them in that moment. So the shepherds saw God's presence in the heavens, and they were about to see it again when they looked upon The birth of Christ, the baby Christ, veiled in flesh. The fullness of God was revealed there. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus himself is quite literally God's Shekinah glory. God dwelling with us. The fullness of God's holiness in a person veiled in flesh. That's why people when they saw him did not fall face down right away because it was covered And yet it was present. It was right there for them. It's right there for us to see through the eyes of faith. And we'll unpack the next few verses in a moment, but let's move down to verse 13 and see what happened then next with them. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now the word for multitude is the same as the word for company in an army. It's a military term. Heaven, basically is what it's referring to here, heaven's army, heaven's company is rejoicing. Heaven is worshiping. Heaven is celebrating because God's plan of redemption is breaking forth. It's breaking into the earth. And his plan was one of bringing peace. Now maybe you think, but what about what I remember Jesus saying? Perhaps in another gospel. Matthew chapter 10 verse 34 says, that Jesus at one point stated, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. So how can these things both be true? 
Jesus brings peace to humanity between humanity and God through faith. So his sacrifice is given for the forgiveness of sins so that human beings can experience a right relationship with the holy God of which they've been separated because of their rebellion. That's the peace that is brought through Christ. But while that peace is brought through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and we experience it very literally through faith, at the same moment that heaven is rejoicing, hell is also on the move. And that company is also released. And that company is also doing its work. And that company is also getting after human beings in order to destroy the work of God, to steal, kill, and destroy. And so what do we see between humanity as that message goes forth? Well, exactly what Jesus said, a sword. That's what we see every day. And it was no different then. What happened around the time of Jesus? Well, the thing is, we see these two heavenly and hellish armies colliding in their purposes. And who wins the day? The same one wins the day then as will win the day forever and always. And that's to our benefit, of course, in Christ. Because back then, what did Satan unleash? Well, first, Satan tried to unleash the, the, the power of death through Herod. Herod tried to kill the child, but he couldn't touch him. The danger of the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. The lack of help and support and resources. Hell threw everything at Christ, and they couldn't get him. They couldn't get him. Now, what does that mean for us? It means that Jesus, first, let's recognize he is God's anointed. That means the Father would watch over the Son until the Son fulfilled every purpose of his life in obedience to the Father. And so because the heavenly angels knew of what was happening, they're celebrating, they're worshiping. And when we today realize that nothing, if you are in Christ, formed against you will stand, that you are protected by the Father just as Christ was until every good work that he prepared for you in advance to do is completed, then maybe that same freedom will lead you to worship too. We spend so much time thinking in fear. So much time in fear. We're afraid of this, afraid of that, anxious about this, anxious about that. But the truth is, if you are in Jesus Christ, although we don't see what's coming, although we don't know what's coming, we know a Father who knows what's coming, we know a Father who sees, a Father who hears, a Father who protects, a Father who holds, and what he says is, I have already planned good things for your life through the Spirit, and nothing will touch you until that work is done. So what do we have to fear? We will move forward in his plan until his plan in us is accomplished. And when he calls us home, according to the Apostle Paul, certainly according to the truth of Scripture and the life of Christ, we will be brought home to a much better place. Perfected. So Jesus couldn't be touched. The glory of God revealed the heavenly hosts worshiping. And then there's these shepherds, these no-name shepherds, these anonymous shepherds. Why aren't they named? They don't have much of an identity here. It's just their profession that's given. Sometimes that's how I feel. I feel like, I feel like that guy, you know, or maybe you feel like that guy or that girl. It's like, man, you, just, you feel anonymous. You wonder if really the Lord's going to do something in your life or through your life. You're waiting for something to come, perhaps. You've been waiting for a while, maybe praying, maybe wondering. 
Yesterday, our family went to see uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. It's a movie where the universe needs saving again. <laughs> and in this case, it wasn't just the movie, uh, the, the universe, it was the multiverse. So many universes need saving again. And it's funny because in the, in the scrolling credits after the movie, uh, my wife noticed this after Peter Parker, you know, it's like the 20-minute scrolling names and stuff. And there's Peter Parker and there's MJ and Doctor Strange and Ned and Happy and Aunt May. And, and then my wife noticed that one of the characters was man with phone. <laughs> That's all it said. Maybe you feel as significant in the plan to save the universe as man with phone. But let me remind you, you're still in the movie. You're still in the movie. Uh, you've, you've heard some things. If you're in Christ, you've witnessed some things. You've experienced some things. You've been saved out of darkness and into light through faith in Christ. Your eyes have been opened to the glory of God through Jesus. You became the dwelling place of God when you put your faith in Jesus and the Spirit of God chose to dwell in you. Make his dwelling among you. In a deeper sense, more glorious than what happened right there where they beheld God's glory and now you have God's glory. John 1 verse 14 talks about this moment of the birth of Christ, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 1 says something similar. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, his son, Namely, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The point is, friends, you have a story to tell. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you've seen God's glory. You know God's glory. You have God's glory. You are indwelt by God's glory. Maybe you feel like a shepherd. Maybe you feel like a man with phone. But God, for some reason, chose to reveal his glory to you and in you so that he might save more of his people from their sins, from darkness, through you in Christ. You have a story to tell. And if you feel humble and lowly and unnamed and unimportant, then remember what you've seen. The glory of God has been fully revealed in Jesus Christ. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Have you received it? Are you living that story? Are you responding emotionally, not just intellectually, to that story? Thanking God every day. Thank you. I woke up today and I'm still indwelt by your glory. I don't always feel it. I don't always experience it. I'm not always there, but, but I know that your spirit is with me. I know that your rod and your staff, I know you're protecting me. I know that you will see me through it all until you call me home. What did the shepherds see? They saw the glory of God and so can you. And so have you if you've responded to Jesus. And if you haven't, you can. You can as you respond to the word of God wrapped in flesh, the God-man, what's called the Theanthropos, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, given for the salvation of humanity. 
They also saw the humility of God. Look at verse 10. And the angel said to him, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All very important titles at the end of that verse. We'll come to those in a minute. When we experience the reality of God's presence, the truth is it's overwhelming. And do you remember the moment that you understood your depravity and your desperation and the freedom that you had in Jesus Christ through faith? Do you remember the moment when you celebrated the waters of baptism and you said and you proclaimed to, the, to all those who were present, I am staking my life on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the message that shaped everything about me. Do you remember the feeling? Do you remember the response? Are those moments meant to be so isolated that now in this stage of our journey with Jesus, God doesn't speak anymore? That he doesn't move anymore? That we can't expect him to use us anymore? Let's not live such lives, Christian. That's not what he intends. His presence, when we stop and consider and quiet the noise for a minute, is overwhelming. His voice is always active through his word. And when we get a glimpse of who we are and who God is and how desperately we need his mercy and grace, the truth is our response is exactly what they experienced here. It's scary. The angel, which the word angel simply means messenger, gives us good news. The good news is this. It's the response of the gospel. The emotion that we can feel in response to the gospel is fear not. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news. And by good news, there's many things insinuated within that phrase. Good news means it's happy news. It's full of joy. It's not like our news cycle. I think it's good to call our news. I think it's good that we call our news like our new news breaking news because it breaks you. That's what it does. You, you watch that stuff, you wake up with your phone and read it, you turn on the television and that's what your cycle is and you're pouring more of that into your heart than you are the word of God or community or service or love or peace or joy or all the fruits of the spirit, then guess what it's going to feel like breaking? And yet the good news of the gospel, it bonds us back together in Christ. It doesn't break us, it bonds us. It joins us. And the good news is good, it says here, for all people. There is no limit to the scope of the good news. It's for the Jew. It's for the Gentile. It's for the man with the phone. It's for the single mom with crazy kids. It's the grandparent who is estranged from their family. It's the teen who is depressed. It is for everyone. Everyone. When we experience the reality of the good news, when we wake up and read a headline like, it's going to be a winter of just death. I don't have to be afraid. Yeah, it's devastating. And I'm sure many of you in this room, your family, you yourself have experienced horrible potential tragedy as a result of the brokenness in this world and the depravity of it all around us every day. And yet, I have to tell myself as a follower of Jesus who has received the Holy Spirit of God who indwells me, the same as you, same as the Son of God, in that sense, where he depended upon the Holy Spirit, I have to remind myself a hundred times a day the reality of that command, that imperative, fear not. I have nothing to fear, and neither do you. 
because he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And so we hold on to this promise and we are overwhelmed by it as we recognize the humility of it. So here's the good news that's for everyone. Here's the good news. The good news is that the one you didn't see coming, he came. The one you never expected to turn your life upside down, he came. The Savior you didn't always know you needed, he came to save you. The, the Christ you didn't know could rescue, he's offered you forgiveness and life. The Lord you need to guide your life, he's available, he's speaking, he is present, he is willing. Christ, Savior, Lord. Did you know the emperors in Rome would use these same titles about themselves? But the peace they offered didn't bring peace to your soul. It ultimately only brought more fear. The salvation they offered didn't bring life to the fullest. It ultimately only brought more fear. The things of this world that promise you the good news of the gospel, these false gods, these idols, they promise you all the things of heaven, but the result is always the same. It ultimately leads you to more fear. And yet the whole time the gospel humbly, softly, available and present, is there, awaiting a response. This is a superior Christ, a superior Savior, a superior Lord to what the world has to offer. Now, how did this superior Jesus arrive? Look at verse 15. And this has just been wrecking me this week. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I don't know how many times I've read the words. These men, they just witnessed the Shekinah glory of God. I mean, think, think about that reality. The closest I've come to starting to experience it, maybe a little bit, is, uh, you know, the guy who did the series The Chosen, he did a, a Christmas one on the shepherds, and it's beautiful, you should watch it. And it just reminds me, they experienced the Shekinah glory of God, they just heard the praise, some of the few human beings in history who heard the praise of actually heaven, of heavenly hosts. And when they go running to what all this fuss is about, what do they find? <laughs> they find Mary and Joseph and a baby in a stone feeding trough. That's most likely what a manger was in the first century, at least in Judea. You might want to change that out in your nativity scene too. We imagine it to be so also glamorous and cute and pristine. It wasn't glamorous at all. There was nothing glamorous about it. It was a poor couple away from home, isolated to some degree, having a child that was brought into the world through all kinds of mystery and certainly a lot of different opinion and theory. And that was it. We imagine it so glamorous. There wasn't anything glamorous about it. The angels were gone. The singing was gone. Now it's just an ordinary Joe and his ordinary wife and a newborn baby that is, think about it, the, the actual, it's not Marvel, but the real king of the universe. Wrapped up in ordinary cloths, lying in a stone bed used to feed livestock. That just blows my mind. Just blows my mind. 
Why is our tendency to run after things that look impressive and powerful and shun the things that appear humble and ordinary? Maybe you don't see God because you've been looking at all the wrong things in all the wrong places. Maybe you don't see God move because you're hanging out in Jerusalem instead of Bethlehem. We're we're always looking for the kid in the Air Jordan 1 retros and ignoring the one in the slides. It's like, it's like we got to go, like our eyes are naturally so drawn to the world, like where's the impressive thing? Where's the impressive thing? Where's the thing? I want to be like him. I want to spend time with her. I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to gain that. I want to get that. I want to acquire that. I want to achieve that. I, I want that. I want that. It's, it's Im- How, why is it that we chase after all of this stuff in the world all the while God's already demonstrated where he moves? That's not where he moves. That's not how he moves. All we have to do is look at the incarnation. How crazy is it that God, God in flesh, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he came common. He isn't common. We are common. He isn't common, but he came like a commoner. Why? Because it proves to all of us God is accessible. No one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ, who requires no prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. Jesus didn't come to be seen by impressive people. He came to be seen by desperate people. And that's when you see him, when you're desperate. If you don't come to the good news with an attitude of desperation, then you won't be able to hear its message. And if you've received the good news of the gospel, but still think you have something to prove or that you have something to lose, then you haven't fully embraced its truth in the birth of Christ. When we see that God's glory is revealed through humility, then we can loosen our grip on the world. Friends, did Jesus have anything to prove to this world? Did he have anything to gain from this world? The world was created by him and through him and for him. He is before all things and over all things. And all that is his, everything that's been given to him, everything that he has received because of his obedience to the Father has already been promised to his disciples. It's been promised to his disciples. So that means you have nothing to gain that hasn't already been given to you in Christ. You have nothing to lose that hasn't already been secured for you in Christ. So you don't have to prove anything. You are free to live what the world calls a common, godly life. And humble, common godliness through faith is producing in us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's what he's asking us to do, to walk in that humility, a common, godly life of obedience. What did the shepherds see? They saw the glory of God. They saw the humility of God. And last and very briefly, because we've already said it many times, they saw the good news of God. Look at the last three verses. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The shepherds were the first evangelists of the gospel. And when the good news of Christ is shared, those who respond favorably to it, some people are filled with wonder and receive it. Mary recognized her need to reflect over what she heard and then acknowledged it. 
The shepherds respond with worship. But not everybody responds that way. Not everybody sees him. So the text leaves us with the question, have you seen him? Have you responded to him? Remember, it's Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and all who heard it, and then the rest of the world who didn't see, who didn't hear. And now we have this opportunity to see and to hear. Have you seen him? Have you responded to him? There's so much we can't see coming. It's hard for us to sit on the edge of our seats when we know the next scene in the story, but none of us know what's coming next in our story. When you walk out of this building, what will happen today or tomorrow or this week? All we know is we can say, I don't see it. I didn't expect it, but God, I'm glad you know it. So we walk in humble, common obedience. We share the glory of God by sharing the good news. And as we do, as we live that way, maybe you'll see God do something you never saw coming. Be expectant. I expect him to move. I expect, I expect to wake up tomorrow by his grace. And if I live a common, humble, obedient walk in the spirit, he'll show up. He'll speak. He'll move. He'll be present. And you will experience his power and glory. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Thank you for your word. Father, I just want to pray for any here who have not yet received Jesus, this precious gift through faith. The Savior, the Christ, the Lord, that is what he offers. He offers us salvation, forgiveness, mercy, grace. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm is given to those who believe. And Father, although we will walk a similar journey to him, not with the same purpose, not with the same detail, but the same type of life, one of humility, one of dependence, one of obedience, all for your glory. Father, we know that the result will also be the same, that we will experience your glory, that we will come into your presence, that salvation will be ours for eternity. Father, I pray that if there be any here today or watching online who have not received Jesus, that even now they would submit their lives to him in faith and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I receive you as my Christ, my rescuer, my savior, my Lord, the one responsible for my life. I want to follow your way. I give up the way of the world. And Father, for all who have responded to Christ in faith, help us to know that it's not simply a one-time experience and then, you know, it's going to go a decade or two before we actually hear from you again. Father, you want to speak, you want to move, you want to use us. We have a story to tell. Help us to share it. Help us to respond rightly to it. We have been given the message of the King of Kings. We are now called a part of your church. We are adopted sons and daughters. We are co-heirs with Christ. And so Father, we bow our head, we bow our knee, we fall face down in desperation to say thank you. And Father, we wanna leave this place and tell that same story for others to hear. Help us to respond in faith today and this week in Jesus' name. 
Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.